Welcome to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast, where you can listen to everything related to the game of golf. Golf tips to help you improve your golf game, entertaining interviews, discussions about the latest in golf equipment, and so much more. Now, here is your host, PGA professional, Steve Goforth. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Go Forth and Golf. I'm your host, Steve Goforth, PGA professional at Willow Creek Golf Club. Very excited about bringing this episode to you. I am answering a lot of your questions. Thank you very much for submitting those questions. And I do a fascinating interview with the one and only Jay Haas. Very grateful for him coming onto the show and being my guest. And had a wonderful talk with Jay that I know you will enjoy. As a reminder, go out there, follow me on social media. It's Go Forth Golf Instruction on Facebook at GoForthGolf on Twitter, and make sure you visit my website at GoForthGolfInstruction.com. You can learn more about me, my teaching philosophy, look at lesson rates, and also make sure you visit Willow Creek Golf Club. Visit our website at Willow-CreekGolf.com. Again, Willow-CreekGolf.com. We have some of the best greens in the upstate, and we are so excited to bring you a fantastic golf course. Our superintendent, Kyle Trainum and his staff do a fantastic job keeping that golf course looking its absolute best, and you will not be disappointed. And also be sure to check out our brand new Yamaha golf carts. We're really excited about these. We hope you'll enjoy them. So again, visit our website, book a tee time, or give us a call at the golf shop, and we're happy to hook you up with that tee time and get you out there for a beautiful day of golf. So without further ado, let's tee it up. Oh, he got all of that one. I am very excited about the question portion of the show. Several of you submitted some to me, and I'm very grateful for that. Thank you very much. And if you are out there listening and want to submit your own question, feel free to do so. You can DM me, direct message me on Facebook at Go Forth Golf Instruction, or shoot me an email. It's S as in Steve, go forth, S go forth at PGA.com. If my inbox is flooded, which I hope that it is, I'll get to all your questions as fast as I possibly can, but I promise I will answer every single one of them. So without further ado, let's jump right in and improve your golf game. First question comes from Mark. Mark wants to know, how do I stop pulling my irons? Well, pulling your irons can come from several different things. Number one, you want to think about your club path. So if your ball is going left or starting left, it means your club has to be traveling left as well. And oftentimes what causes that club to travel left is that left shoulder or that lead shoulder if you're a right-handed golfer. Of course, it'd be the right shoulder if you're a lefty. And so you don't want that lead shoulder to be going left of your target too soon. So the easiest way to get out of pulling irons is to feel like you're swinging on what I call a one o'clock path. So the target is always at 12 o'clock. So you kind of got to imagine a huge clock without trying to complicate this here. Just imagine a huge clock. You're always standing on nine o'clock to hit the golf ball. Again, if you're a right-handed golfer, the ball is the center of the clock that operates the hands and the target is always and forever be 12 o'clock and so on your downswing you got to feel like you're swinging outward to one o'clock position and then in doing so when you make your turn to your finish position that actually redirects the the golf club to 12 o'clock because i get a lot of golfers asking me well steve if i swing to one o'clock 
Aren't I going to push the ball out to the right? No, not if you're rotating your body and rotating your hands and arms through the impact zone. So, But the club has to start on that 1 o'clock path or slightly right of the target, and that will get rid of your pulls. And what that does with that lead shoulder, it causes that lead shoulder to move upward instead of left on the initial downswing. Eventually, of course, our, our left shoulder is going to move to the left, but that's after impact. So again, swing to 1 o'clock. That will get rid of your pulls. It may cause a few blocks right, but then just work on the timing of that. If you feel like you're swinging to 1 o'clock and you're pushing it, then start redirecting that club back to 12 because ultimately that's where we want the club to go, right? We want the club to go towards our target. We're just swinging to 1 o'clock as an exaggeration of that. Mark, next time I see you, let me know if that works or if you still have questions about that, please hit me up and let me know. All right, the next question comes from Tom, and Tom asks, where should I position the ball with my driver? Well, Tom, typically you want to position the ball inside your left heel with your driver, and I'd like to teach with driver, fairway wood, and hybrid played inside left heel. Now, with the hybrid, three, four, five, that's a little too far forward, okay? But what you want to look for is if you're drawing the ball or hooking the ball, or hitting it a little too high, then bump it back about one ball for that hybrid. But driver, always inside left heel. What this does for you is it promotes you hitting up at the golf ball. So when we hit a driver, you got to think of it like this. You want to feel like you're an airplane taking off. And that's kind of what we're doing at impact and after with the driver where an airplane taking off. You never want to be like an airplane landing coming in at impact because that's too steep and that's what causes us to create a lot of spin on the golf ball and it stays low to the ground as well or it could stay low to the ground so you always want to approach it sweeping upward again like an airplane taking off and positioning the ball inside your left heel will give you the best chance for that proper angle of attack The next question comes from Dave. Dave wants to know, how do you hit the ball lower? For example, how do I hit the ball under a tree or if I want to hit it low into the wind? Great question. Tiger Woods did a clinic one time, and he said, somebody asked him, how do you hit the ball low? How do you hit that low stinger that just pierces through the wind, especially at the British Open? And his answer to that question was, if I want to hit the ball low, I just finish my follow-through low. I want to hit the ball high, I finish high. I was like, wow, that's a simple way of looking at it. And that's exactly what you do. If you want to hit the ball low, you finish lower on your follow-through. Lower and kind of across your body a little bit on your follow-through. As far as setup position is concerned, what helps with this is putting the ball back in your stance, back of center. So find your center point in your stance and go further back. If you need to go all the way back to your right heel, inside your right heel, you can do that. Depends on how low the shot needs to go. And put a little bit of weight on your left foot. Kind of lean towards your left side. That kind of helps deal off the golf club through impact. And that will also keep the ball low. So again, finish low on your follow through. Put the ball back in your stance. And as far back as you go, depends on how low you want it to go. And weight on your left side. If you want to hit your driver low, what I suggest doing is teeing it low. That's the easiest solution to hitting a low drive with a driver is tee it lower. Play it instead of playing it up towards the left heel, play it a little bit more towards center or a little front of center in between center and your left foot. 
that will keep the ball low, but tee it low, and then also work on finishing lower with the driver swing as well. Hope this helps you, Dave. Bob comes to me with a really good question here as well. I have a difficult time getting the ball out of a bunker. I also have issues with different types of sand. Some are soft and fluffy and others are hard and compacted. So with bunker shots, it's really something that's overcomplicated by a lot of golfers. And if you listen to one of my last episodes when I talked about the mental game, it really has a lot to do with how you approach that shot mentally. Instead of being mad at yourself for walking into the or hitting the ball into the bunker, you want to walk into that bunker confident that the ball is coming out. It's not about how if it's coming out; it's how close is the ball going to be to the flag when it does. So you really got to walk into that bunker with a really good mindset, a confident mindset. But I also understand that hey, if you don't know how to hit the shot, how can you be confident going into it? So that's what we're going to talk about here. So with the bunker shot. I'll get into the different types of sand here in just a second. But as far as how to hit a bunker shot, biggest thing I see, the most common mistake I'll see golfers make is they don't accelerate through the shot. They're punching it out. They stop the club. As soon as the club hits the sand, the, the swing stops. You want to swing through it. You want to feel like you're making a full swing out of the fairway from 150 yards to a green. That's the kind of feeling you want to have. You want to start out by digging your feet into the sand. This is going to stabilize the lower body and give you better balance, gets you closer to the golf ball. Obviously, if you're digging down and going down closer. Also, it's giving you a chance to test the sand conditions because if you're digging your feet and it's coming up around, the sand's coming up around your shoes, you know you're dealing with fluffy sand or soft sand. If you're digging your feet and you're not getting any sand around your feet at all, you, then you know you're dealing with that hard, compacted, dirt-like sand, and that's going to make a difference in how you attack that golf ball. So dig the feet. You want to flex the knees a lot. Flex them over your toes, almost like you're squatting to a certain degree, and don't leave that position because a lot of golfers will come up, therefore causing them to thin the golf shot, and it's when it goes screaming and blading over the green and then that's going to promote them to decelerate the next time because they're trying to avoid that miss hit. So I love it when a golfer comes to me and they're blading it over the green. At least they're committing to the golf shot. And that's the biggest thing I have a hard time getting students to do is committing to the shot and swinging through it like I mentioned earlier. So dig the feet, flex the knees a lot, find your spot, one inch to two inch, maybe three, depends on the length of the shot, behind the golf ball. Focus on your spot. Don't even look at the golf ball. Look at the spot in the sand that you're wanting to hit and drive through it, swing through it hard. Again, you can adjust how hard you're swinging through it based on how far the ball is going, but at least it's coming out of the bunker. And then you can adjust by either opening your club face, getting more loft on the wedge, or decreasing the length of the swing. Those things will decrease the length of the shot, but you have to commit to it. You have to swing through it. Now, as far as how to swing at the fluffy sand, the soft sand, and then the tight sand. What I tell my students is if you want, if you have fluffy or soft sand, take a wider takeaway. If you have tight sand, almost that dirt type sand, you got to create a steep takeaway, meaning when you take the club back, you need to hinge the wrists early, get the club really steep so that it can come down at a steep angle of attack digging into that sand batter because again there's not a lot of sand there to dig into so again fluffy soft sand wider takeaway tight sand steeper takeaway that should help you get out 
But the biggest thing I want you to remember, Bob, is commit to the shot. Because the question you had was, I have a difficult time getting out of the bunker. Commit to the shot. Accelerate through the shot. No matter if it goes screaming over the green, you know how to adjust that now and how to take more sand based on those instructions I gave you. But commit to it is important. Swing through it. Give it some power. And you will not be disappointed. Hope this helps you, Bob. Mike has a great question when it comes to putting, and he asks, do you prefer to let the putt die in the hole, or do you teach golfers to hit the back of the cup? First of all, Mike, I really try to find out what type of a putter the golfer is. Are they a lag putter, or are they an aggressive putter? That makes a huge difference, because the go some golfers are more comfortable lagging the ball to the hole, as opposed to being aggressive and hitting it past. I prefer that they'd be aggressive and hit it past because that gives them a better chance of making the putt, gives the putt a better chance of holding its line. However, my belief in being a good teacher is being able to adapt to students. So really, it, it depends on the golfer. But I prefer golfers hit the ball more solid or hit the ball more aggressively and hit the back of the cup. All the great tour players do it, especially when they're 10 feet in. They're going to hit the back of the cup when it goes in as opposed to lagging it in towards the front of the cup. This gives you a better chance of it holding its line, like I said earlier, because the more aggressive you are, the less likely it's going to break. So pick an aggressive line and then be aggressive with the putt. So, But figure out what type of a putter you are, especially on the longer putts. Usually on a longer putt, it's all about the lag, right? We just got to get it up there close. We want to make it, of course. But worst case scenario, we get it up there close to the hole so that we can make that next putt. But figure out which one you are. Are you a lag putter or are you an aggressive putter? And that can help you make the right decision on that. But I prefer you be aggressive into the back of the cup. Mike has another great question. Why do you have extra wraps or why would a golfer have extra wraps under their grip? A lot of my background is club repair, club fitting, and when we'd put extra wraps under a club, whether it be a putter or whether it be a seven iron, the biggest reason for that was to reduce the hand and wrist movement. You you, you want to, you don't want to flip through a putt. You don't want to flip through an iron shot or a driver. And let me take a second to explain what a flip is. A flip is when the right palm goes to the sky at impact as opposed to rotating downward or behind your body through the impact zone. So you never want the right palm facing to the sky through impact. You want it to rotate downward or, and rotate behind you. That's the proper movement with the full swing. With a putt, you want the right palm to go down the line of your intended putt and again, not to go towards the sky. And so when you've got a grip in your hand that you can hold on to better, you're less likely to have that flipping motion and more likely to have a rotational motion with the hands and arms when it comes to a full swing. With putting, you're typically going to grip the putter in the palm of your hand to reduce the hand and wrist flip through the putt and promote more arms and shoulders. But again, the biggest reason why you're going to put more wraps under the grip is to stabilize the hands, keep it from giving you a flipping motion, a lot of times you'll see golfers that'll put more tape on under the right hand of the grip. And what this is helping them with is the rotation 
of that right hand. It's emphasizing that a little bit more through the impact zone. So there's a lot of creative ways you can go about putting wraps under a grip. But let me explain this. You, you don't want to go too big with the wraps or, or too many wraps because the last thing you want to do is hinder the rotation of the hands or the release of the golf club. So the bigger that grip becomes, typically the less likely it is you're going to be able to rotate. My suggestion to you is go to a certified club repair specialist. Have them test your proper grip size. There's different ways. There's charts that you can do or can use rather that will help you determine what grip size you need to go with but too small over rotation of the hands too big less of a rotation of the hands typically more wraps reduces the amount of hands through the shot for that golfer that's a little too flippy through the impact zone Thank you again for taking the time to send your questions to me, whether you did it in person, you did it via email, or you did it via social media. I greatly appreciate it, and I hope that I helped you with these tips. If you have questions of your own out there and you want to ask me, please feel free to do so. As I mentioned earlier and prior to this segment, flood my inbox. I'm going to try to answer all the questions that I can. I want to help you guys. That's one of the purposes of this podcast is to help you become a better golfer and that's what i'm here for of course if you want more in-depth instructions look me up and we can do a one-on-one session i can go in more detail and actually show you how to hit these shots so that you are a lot more comfortable and confident when you get to the golf course doing the bull dance feeling the flow working working it Ladies and gentlemen, listen up. If you want to take control of your health and feel so much better, I encourage you to check out Pure on Main. They have two locations on Main Street in downtown Greenville across from the Hyatt and another location on Main Street in Simpsonville. Pure on Main provides you with essential services and products allowing you to live a healthier, more fulfilling life. Pure on Main is also one of the most exclusive and unique health and wellness centers in the upstate. They've been nominated as one of Greenville's best wellness centers for four consecutive years. Betsy and her staff provide services such as colon hydrotherapy, massage therapy, ionic foot detox, and wellness consulting. They also have a store filled with beneficial items for your body and soul. Pure on Main is dedicated to helping and serving their community. Please give them a call and let them recommend the best products to help keep you and your family healthy and safe during these challenging times. I get all of my wellness supplements from them and I feel amazing. Visit their website at pureonmain.com. Again, that's pureonmain.com where you can purchase their phenomenal products to be shipped for free. Yeah, you heard me right. Free right to your door or picked up curbside at their downtown Greenville location. So what are you waiting for? Start living healthier and pure with the help of Pure on Maine. You won't regret it. All right, now it is time for the interview section of the show. And man, am I very, very excited about my guest. I cannot thank Jay Haas enough for taking the time out of his very busy schedule to come on to the show and talk with me and tell some fantastic stories about his time at college at Wake Forest, his time on the PGA Tour, playing for the Ryder Cup team, his senior PGA Tour success, and so much more. Enjoy this interview with PGA great Jay Haas. 
Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today accumulated over 30 professional wins over his career. He's played in the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. He was the captain of the 2015 President's Cup that defeated the Internationals. He's the recipient of the Payne Stewart Award, the Jim Murray Award, the Bob Jones Award, the Jack Nicholas Trophy, and the Arnold Palmer Award, just to name a few. And he's also won two Charles Schwab Cups. He continues his success on the Champions Tour, and he's now the owner of a very impressive golf center in Greenville, South Carolina. Please welcome the one and only Jay Haas. Jay, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to do this interview. I cannot thank you enough. How are you? Oh, everything's good here. Just uh, got a little cabin fever going with uh, this coronavirus stuff. And I know it's uh, affected a lot of people. And uh, fortunately, uh, we're, we're all healthy right now and, and doing well. Just uh, anxious to get back out like I'm sure a lot of people are. Uh, we all are. I'm, I'm glad to hear you're doing well through this. And yeah, this is, it's definitely a weird time for everybody right now. Yeah, just uh, a time that uh, unprecedented, really. Nothing like this in my lifetime has ever happened. And I know our kids and grandkids will be reading about it in the history books. And hopefully it's one for <laughs> uh, every every hundred years or so. We don't have to go through this much anymore. I hope not. I hope not. Well, Jay, in 2018, you and a few other investors purchased a facility in Greenville, South Carolina called the Eagle Zone that acted as a driving range, a golf learning center, a golf shop, and a club repair center. You guys renamed it to Haas Family Golf. Where did the idea come from to start this new venture? You know, I, I think it, uh, it came from me thinking about my youth. Uh, I can Some of my earliest memories of golf were playing uh, nine holes with my dad, and then going to this driving range. Uh, it was open at night. Uh, there were bugs everywhere because it was lit up. And I just remember uh, hitting hitting golf balls on that range like it was yesterday. It has to be 60 years ago now. And I remember each bucket had about two or three golf balls in it that were any good. The rest of them were all <laughs> ones that you wouldn't want to hit much more than a wedge with. Right. And and so I think, uh, you know, I knew about uh, Pelham T, then Eagle Zone. Uh, it, from my days of, of living here, you know, we moved here in 1983, and uh, the, the kids, our family has grown up here. And I remember taking the boys there probably uh, when they were, you know, 12, 13 years old and watching them hit and thinking what a nice place it was. And uh, good bones to it and then as it progressed and it uh, the years went on I thought that it uh, as I went over there and occasionally hit balls and practiced and would just drop in uh, I would think about uh, things that I would do to improve it if uh, if someday I was uh, going to get involved in, in that end of it and uh, lo and behold I, I spoke with John Gehring who was an investor and a uh, uh, an employee of, of uh, Eagle Zone, and we got to talk, and one thing led to another. We put a group together, and darn if we don't uh, if we don't own this thing now. So, uh, to put my money where my mouth is, so to speak, uh, we tried to improve it a little bit, a little bit at a time. And I, I like where it's headed. I think we we get good feedback from people who have come there and have been coming there for 25, 30 years, and remember how it maybe used to be and they're they're appreciative of what we're trying to do to it so it's somewhere that 
again, it kind of goes back to my youth somewhere where in the future I can go to hang out uh, and, and bring golf to the masses, but certainly to the kids of this area and the, and the entire Southeast. You know, I spent a lot of my career there and, and I'm absolutely proud of the fact of what you guys are doing. You guys are doing a fantastic job with that facility. Uh, the place means the world to me in my time that I spent there. And just to see what you guys have done with it is, is remarkable. Yeah, it, it's been fun to see a transformation of sorts. And I have some big dreams for it. Uh, you know, in my mind, the vision of what it maybe someday could become. And we've done a little bit of that. Uh, it, you know, it's just, uh, it, it costs a lot of money to do these things. And we're trying to do it as fast as we can. But we, uh, we don't want to get ahead of our skis too much. And it's just, it's fun to see it, though. And it's fun to see people come out there and enjoy the game and see families out there hitting golf balls. It's, uh, again, that's, that's kind of where, uh, where I'm coming from, uh, thinking about the days of my dad and I going out to hit balls and trying to learn the game. And so I see a, a, a young family out there, and it, uh, it makes my heart feel good. Absolutely. How is, uh, how is Haas Family Golf involved in helping the community? I think there's just the fact of given that opportunity, you know, not everyone can be a member of a country club. Uh, I certainly wasn't when I was growing up and played, like I said, a nine hole par three course, uh, maybe once a month, twice a month or something in the summertime. And, you know, eventually got to play at a country club uh, when I was in my late teens, I guess, and kind of formed uh, my, my skills a little bit more, maybe it challenged me a little bit more, but I, I just think the fact that, uh, to giving this opportunity to more and more people, uh, to, to enjoy the game. I know what it's meant to me, a lifetime of, uh, of fun and challenge. Uh, that's the game in itself is such a challenge. It, uh, we can, I tell people, you guys can create excellence at any one time, maybe not all the time or as much as you'd like to. <laughs> But you can hit good shots. You know, it doesn't uh, – there's no defense in golf. It doesn't mean if you're slow or, uh, you know, not as strong or whatever. If you can put it all together and to maximize your abilities, I think anybody can hit good golf shots. And there's uh, nothing uh, that thrills me more than to, for me personally to hit a good shot uh, when I'm visualizing a, a, a five-iron shot into a green and then I hit it it just gives me a biggest charge. And so I want to give that to the people uh, and hopefully they'll, uh, they'll respond and, and keep coming out. You grew up in Bellevue, Illinois. Now you could have lived anywhere in the country, but you chose Greenville, South Carolina. What made you choose Greenville? You know, we, uh, Jan and I were married in 1978. And at the time I was, uh, I grew up, like you said, in, in Illinois and, had gone to Wake Forest to, to play golf on the, on a scholarship there and enjoyed that time uh, immensely. But uh, we were looking for, uh, you know, somewhere in the south, somewhere close to Greenville uh, and uh, with a good airport. Those were kind of my checklist. And mm -hmm. we chose Charlotte. And we, we love Charlotte. I had a few friends from college in Charlotte. And we weren't too far away from Greenville. And so we spent five years there, our first five years of marriage. And then in 83, uh, both of Jan's parents got sick. Uh, her dad had uh, ALS and her mom uh, struggled with cancer. And Jan wanted to be around her family a little bit more. And by that time, I was in a full-fledged tour schedule and 
playing 30 weeks a year and gone a lot and she wanted to be closer to home and so we moved to Greenville and by that time we had two kids uh, a third on the way they ended up with five all together two boys three daughters and they all grew up in Greenville and Jan said when her parents were gone that we could go anywhere I wanted well by the time that all happened we were you know, had had raised our family uh, to a good part of that in Greenville, and Greenville was starting to become a little bit more of a uh, booming town, I suppose. And I just I enjoyed it, and Jan did. We she had family still here, and the kids, frankly, were in schools and loving it. Uh, had made great friends, and so Greenville to me was home, and there isn't a better place to be right now. I don't think. I agree. Isn't it amazing how much Greenville has grown over the years? It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, just incredible. We've been here now 36 years probably, and so we've seen big changes. Jan even more so because she grew up here. But thinking about the downtown and how exciting it is, and exciting for kids uh, my kids' age and even younger, you know, that's just uh, it's so much fun to go down there and to see how vibrant the, the downtown is and all the building that's going on. It's just a, a, a great place to live, to grow up. Uh, it offers so many different things. And obviously the weather's wonderful here. Uh, and I couldn't, uh, couldn't think of a better place to be. For me personally, it's, uh, the airport is fantastic. I love getting in there and not having to wait too many lines. And it's 10 minutes from my house. It's, it's just, uh, it was a great decision to come here. And we've, uh, we've been blessed with, with uh, great things happen since we've been here. Well, let's take a trip down memory lane a little bit. You talked about your time at Wake Forest University. You won a national championship there as a team, and you also won the individual championship in 1975. A lot of people say that this was one of the greatest college teams of all time that also consisted of Curtis Strange and Bob Byman. Talk to me about your days at Wake Forest, and what was it like to win those championships? Yeah, that uh, we, we have been known uh, in different circles to – is the greatest team ever. We won the NCAA in 1975 by 33 strokes. It wow. was a four-round uh, stroke stroke play event then, and it was a little bit different format. We would take the best four for the entire week. It wouldn't be the best four each day. So our depth that we would have in, in at any given tournament really sh uh, showed through at, at the end of the week because we had guys – uh, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh men uh, on our team, you know, two or three guys that were staying home each week that could really play. And so the depth that we had really made our team special. And obviously uh, having Curtis on the team was amazing. He was the best player in college at that time. Uh, those were times that uh, I still think back on and, and just have a big smile on my face. I've been in different uh, forums where Curtis is speaking and he talks about his years at Wake Forest were uh, still to this day the best years of his life. He just loved being there. Uh, again, winning, that had a lot to do with it, but we just had a pretty close team. Uh, you mentioned Bob Byman. He played the tour for eight or ten years. He won the tournament at Bay Hill one year. And so we had a, a solid one, two, three, and then, like I said, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, we had ten guys on the team that could really, really play. And just memories that I will never forget. And I still have some 
and plaques and pictures, different things in my basement that I, I look at and just have a grin every time I go by and think about uh, those great times. But it was uh, to be able to win. Uh, we won at San Diego. Curtis won the individual by a shot, and we won the team by two. And then the following year, I won the individual by a shot, and we won the team by 33. So it was um, – I don't know what the hell happened the last year. We had the same guys back, and we finished fourth or fifth out in Albuquerque. but. It was uh, it was a good run while it lasted, and again, uh, things that uh, I'll never forget. Uh, you know, I don't think it gets talked about enough, in my opinion. I mean, the, the success you had and, and what you guys did was outstanding. And of course, uh, you moved on from Wake Forest onto the PGA Tour, and that lasted almost thirty years. And you had a very successful career there. Out of all the victories that you accumulated, what do you consider your most memorable victory on the PGA Tour? Uh, you know, on the PJ Tour, I would have to say my first win. It was in San Diego, 1978. That was my, my second year out. And the format was quite a bit different back then than it is now. The top 60 were exempt, not the one, not top 125. Uh, so only 60 guys were exempt every week. So if you had your tour card, you had, that gave you the opportunity to qualify on Mondays. And they called us rabbits i don't know why that term came from or, or chasing the lettuce i guess i don't know what the deal was there but we would go out on mondays and the low qualifiers they might have uh, any number of spots from two spots for the week or 32 spots it just depending on uh, what event it was uh, how popular it was with the top players uh, you know that, that would allow us to have more spots or less spots and Anyway, I had a decent first year, finished 77th on the money list, so I wasn't fully exempt, uh, but went to San Diego. It was a fourth tournament of the, of the year and, and won the event. And once I did that, I felt like, yes, I could do this. And uh, there was always doubt. Shoot, uh, I have doubt in my whole career whether I could keep on doing it or not. I had, I had confidence that I could. But there's always that seed of doubt that uh, a win might be your last win or uh, you have a good tournament. When am I going to do that again? It's just uh, you always have to prove yourself in the game of golf. There are no guaranteed contracts, you know, week in, week out. Everybody starts at zero. So uh, I think that winning that first year or the second year, my, my first win, allowed me to, to think that I could do it and that I was a good enough player to get the job done, uh, I could continue on. And it took me another three years to win again. But at the same time, I, I just felt like I belonged a little bit more. So, uh, you know, looking back on it, I'd have to say that first win was uh, as important as any that I have ever had. Well, after almost 30 years on the PGA Tour, you moved on to the senior tour, of course, at the age of 50. Most golfers typically see their game decline, yet you are the total opposite. Your game strengthened tremendously. You've accumulated 18 victories so far. Two of those were at the PGA Championship. How and why do you think this was possible for you? Uh, that's a great question. I will say that my health has held up uh, pretty well over the years. Uh, a lot of guys have struggled with whether it be back injury, shoulder, wrist, neck, uh, knee, any kind of a major injury that is vital to play golf, to swing the golf club. And I seem to avoid those major injuries uh, quite a bit. So th that helped me quite, uh, quite a bit. And I think that uh, having a passion for the game, uh, wanting to get better, 
year in and year out and wanting to play the game, never being satisfied. I think that has kind of pulled me along as well. And toward the end of my 40s, uh, I made, made a couple little changes here and there, and it just seemed to click for me. And at 48, 49, 50, 51, I probably played some of my best golf, most, most consistent golf that I had played uh, throughout my entire career. And so it was, I won't say an easy transition to the Champions Tour, but knowing that I could c compete on that tour uh, gave me a, a great boost of confidence. I made the Ryder Cup team when I was 50, so that was a you know, a, a feather in my cap and something oh, absolutely. Yeah. I did not even dream about doing, but I played well enough and, and got on that team. We, we got waxed that year, but it was, uh, you know, to be in that room with those 11 other guys is unbelievably special. Tiger and Phil were both on the team and many a Davis love was on that team. It was just a, uh, uh, quite a thrill to be included in that uh, group of 12, but, you know, I guess I, I won a couple events and just got comfortable and just felt like mostly my attitude changed about how I played. I think as a, as a PGA Tour player, I played a little bit too defensively. I played to make cuts and to, to be consistent and things like that. I didn't take a lot of chances. And I got on the Champions Tour and I kind of thought that, you know, don't, don't be afraid to hit a bad shot be aggressive when the time came. If it needed to hit a good shot under pressure, you know, hit that shot. Don't say to yourself, geez, I don't want to make a big mistake here and make a double bogey. You know, I, I guess I, I was a better coach to myself mentally than I was when I was a younger player. And I, I tell Bill all the time now, just, uh, you know, the worst thing can happen, hit a bad shot, but you'd be more mad about, trying not to hit a bad shot and then hitting a bad one than if you were trying to be aggressive to hit a good shot and I think that's what carried me through and I just uh, I putted better uh, I thought better I was more confident and I think that's what allowed me to play well onto the uh, onto the champions tour into my 60s well, you know, you hit the nail on the head. The mental game, as you know, is, is gigantic. In my last podcast, I talked about some tips on how to improve that and and, and ways you need to think out there. And, and one of the things I mentioned was just look for something great to happen. Don't walk out there and look for something bad to happen. That's what really we're all kind of guilty of that to a certain degree. We, we're afraid we're going to hit that bad shot. And Jack Nicholas put it perfectly. He said, why would anybody willingly replay a bad shot? I mean, why would you? And we do that all the yeah, time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so that mental game part is it, it's so important. I try to teach that to my students all the time that have the right attitude out there and, and believe in yourself and know that you can do something wonderful. No, I couldn't agree more. Yes. Uh, I think that the great winners of the past, and I, I could start with Jack Nicholas. They had, he had such a tremendous attitude, a positive attitude, and you could see him formulating uh, a good shot in his head prior to hitting the shot. And he usually did. Tom Watson was very convicted in every shot that he ever took. He'd take a club out, couple couple waggles and go. There was never a tentative look in his eye when he got over a shot. And so you look at the great players of today in any era, in any sport, and none of them look like they're scared. You know, so the you'd I, to me, I, and again, I've told Bill this, uh, you'd much rather be nervous about a situation than at home sitting on your couch watching it. So you want to be doing that. You want to be the guy in that arena and not watching that. So 
I just think that uh, if you have a good attitude, a good positive attitude to see results and things like that, you believe in your rehearsal and how you, how much work you put into it, good things will happen. Well, Jay, when you look back over your career, who were the most influential people in your career? Well, I can start with my uh, certainly my parents getting me to and from events and my dad for playing with me and everything. And, you know, when he probably wanted to be with the guys, I, I look back on it now and think as a six or seven or eight year old, uh, you know, him dragging me along to his uh, Saturday morning games and allowing me to play with him. That was uh, that was awfully special. Uh, but the man who taught me to play the game was my uncle, Bob Dolby. Uh, Bob's the 1968 Masters champion. And I didn't know what that meant back then. You know, I just knew he was a good player and he gave me some tips and they worked and I practiced them. You know, that was kind of, you know, one, two, three, that was it. And uh, until I was uh, a grown person and had had gone through – uh, learning to play, learning to uh, play on the PGA Tour, struggled, things like that. I had no idea what that Masters win meant to him until I was uh, playing in that event and, you know, a player on the PGA Tour. So, I, you know, Bob was my biggest vocalist uh, supporter as I was a kid growing up. You can do this, he would say. Uh, you got a great swing. You got great fundamentals. Uh, just keep on practicing. Believe in yourself. Practice, practice, practice. You know, just all these different things that a coach would tell uh, a person. And, uh, you know, I believed him. And he'd come home and he'd give me a tip and say, all right, I'll see you next time. Keep working at it. You're doing great. Uh, you can do this. I've watched a thousand different players and you got as much as they've got or more. And, you know, so he just – kept pumping me up, kept being positive with me. And, you know, I still talk to him all the time. Bob, he's getting ready to turn 91 uh, in, uh, or he just did turn 91, excuse me. And he's, uh, wow. you know, still goes to the champions dinner at, at Augusta. And just uh, to hear the stories that he tells is a ton of fun. And I still bounce things off of him. What do you think about this? My swing. And uh, it, it's just, uh, I've been, little did I know how blessed I was when I was growing up to have someone like that in my corner. Oh, absolutely. Well, you guys have a lot of exciting new things going on at Haas Family Golf. I noticed that you guys brought in club champion. What's your opinion on the advancement of golf equipment and, and the golf equipment technology uh, as it relates to golf clubs and golf balls? Oh my gosh. It's just, uh, it's gone crazy. And I know that when I was a younger player, you really didn't have an opportunity or a choice uh, of clubs so much. You just grabbed a driver, uh, you know, clubs were expensive, probably more expensive than they are, are now in relation to uh, the economy. And, you know, you, you had to develop your swing to your club that you had. If you didn't have enough loft, you maybe didn't know you didn't have enough loft on your driver. And so you just kind of figured out how to hit it higher. And that could have been a detriment to your swing. So now with uh, certainly club champion, they are the best there is at fitting people. And you get a club that fits you rather than you fitting the club. And I'm not trying to sell anybody on club champion or anything like that. But at the same time, this is what we've done as a pro, what we've done throughout our whole careers, testing clubs. We've, 
we like this one, we don't like this one. Ooh, that's a good looking driver. Let me try to hit that one. It looks pretty good. Let me have one of those. And so now you can just, anybody can walk into Haas Family Golf, go to Club Champion uh, and get fitted to exact specifications that you need. Uh, the numbers are, not, are there and they don't lie. It, you know, the, the track man, all that stuff is something that is uh, relatively new in the scheme of golf and certainly since I've been playing. But to tell you uh, each shot, uh, you know, the launch angle, the spin rate, uh, the carry, uh, you know, all this different stuff, we didn't have that uh, 40 years ago. In 20 years ago, hardly we didn't have that. So uh, just the fact that you can go in there, anybody, I don't care what level of golf, but you can go in and you can get a club and then you can be prepared to play your best golf. For those that haven't heard of Club Champion, can you go in there and get fit for pretty much any brand you want or is it, are you limited? No, they are. Uh, they like to say they're agnostic. They don't uh, push any club. If you want to play a Titleist club, if you want to play a TaylorMade, Ping, uh, you know, up and down the line, uh, PXG, they, they've got it all, every one of them. And you might start with one and then say, well, let's try this head on that shaft. Let's try that shaft on this head. And so, uh, you know, they've got – it kind of makes your head spin. It's the ultimate candy store <laughs> – for a golf nut and if you go in there your head just kind of spins it'll uh they will fit you with what's best and they do not like like i just said they don't push any one brand they've got them all across the board so if you're uh, if you're looking for a specific brand they will have it and they will have every shaft available and they'll have it to you as quick as they can yeah, a lot of my background is club fitting, and that's where I started my career. And, and seeing what they're doing is outstanding. I mean, to know that you can go in there and see all these different variations of shaft, club head, grip, and then having that diverse selection of manufacturers, I think is just wonderful. Yeah, well, you mentioned the, the shaft and the grip. That's something that a lot of people don't even think about. They say, what kind of grip right. do you like? Well, heck, I don't know what kind of grip. Well, show me what you've got. Ooh, this one feels good. You know, so it's just uh, there's so many different choices. And to, to custom make that club for you specifically, I uh, just can't say enough about that. And, it, it, again, it's got something for everybody. It, it, they will fit you for what you need and to maximize your performance uh, for your swing. I just talked to one of the fitters there a couple weeks ago, and a gentleman walked out, and he showed him that he had picked up 28 yards on his driver. Wow. Uh, just just through testing and fitting and getting him something uh, that is right for him. Well, now just think about taking your drive and then going out there and walking it 28 yards closer to the green and dropping it and playing from there. That's a little bit of an advantage. So sure. if a club can do that for you, why wouldn't you go and, and get to at least get fitted for something like that? Well, I encourage all of you to go check out their website. It's HaasFamilyGolf.com. Again, HaasFamilyGolf.com. Also check them out on Facebook and Instagram. It's at HaasFamilyGolf. All the new uh, things you need to know about their facility will be on their website, will be on their Facebook or Instagram page. I highly suggest that you go out there and check them out if you have not already done so. It is a fantastic facility, and we're super proud to have it here in the Greenville community. Jay, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I wish you all the best with Haas Family Golf. 
Well, thanks for having me on, Steve. And uh, like you said, anybody uh, that wants to improve their game, come on out. Uh, welcome you with open arms. It's uh, a great game, a great game for a lifetime. Like I said, I've been playing it 60 years now, and I don't, I don't want to slow down uh, my family, my kids, my grandkids. It's uh, a game of a lifetime, so come enjoy it. Thank you again, Jay. You bet. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap. That is a conclusion on episode three. Thank you so very much for taking time out of your busy schedule and hitting that play button no matter where you are. Please pass the word along to those you may know that could be interested in this podcast. I uh, would love to get more listeners. And if you feel like I deserve it, please go give me a five-star rating. That is also really appreciated because it's going to get my podcast out there to more listeners and more ratings I can get. The more exposure the podcast will have out there in the world. And if you have questions of your own, please feel free to submit those. Again, you can email those to me at sgoforth at pga.com. Again, sgoforth at pga.com. You can also DM me, direct message me on Facebook, or you can stop by the golf shop at Willow Creek Golf Club and ask me that question as well. I want to try to answer as many questions and help as many of you as I can for future episodes. Of course, I'll have other great topics coming your way in the next episode and another great interview for you to listen to. And remember, the goal of this podcast is to entertain you, to inspire you, to help you become a better golfer, and to grow the game. That is the main objective of this podcast, and I hope that's doing that for you so far. I hope that your next round is the best one ever. And remember to go out there with that positive attitude and know that you can do great things and to always look for something great to happen to you. Remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game. You've been listening to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to receive alerts on new episodes. For more information, please follow us on social media at Go Forth Golf Instruction or visit our website at GoForthGolfInstruction.com. Remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game.